In chapter one of the five chapter book, a man walks down a street. He falls into a hole, fumbles around in the dark, and then eventually makes his way to safety by his own means. In chapter two, the man walks down the same street and pretends he doesn't see the hole. He falls in, fumbles around, and eventually makes his way to safety. In chapter three, the man walks down the street, sees the hole, falls in, and claims it's not his fault. Eventually, he makes his way out of the hole and to safety. In chapter four, the man walks down the street. He sees the hole, falls in, and realizes that it was his own fault. And he escapes out of the hole a little more quickly. In chapter 5, the man walks down a different street. Many of us can easily relate to this story, for it seems that we keep making the same choices and returning to the same holes in our own lives again and again. Somehow, it seems that the more we try to pull away from the things that are weighing us down in life, and the more we try to stop doing the things that so easily beset us, is the more we seem to not be able to get away from them, and in turn, keep making the same choices over and over and over again. I'm sure many of you all can relate to this struggle and to this battle. So why do we keep doing the things that we do not want to do? Especially the things that causes us to have so much grief in life. We strive to keep God's law. We strive to do the right thing. But we keep falling and falling. So the question is, is there any hope for us? Is there anything that we can do? Well, today... I want to talk about the root cause of that problem, which is sin. Many of us have our own ideas of what we think sin is and what it does, but I want to spend some time this morning talking about sin in a way that will help us to not only know what it is, but to also understand just how sin really manifests itself in our everyday lives. The scripture was already read in Romans the seventh chapter, but I would just like to lift up the 19th through the 20th verses. There we read, For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And so for this message this morning, and to use as a title, I have titled this message, The Second Nature. The Second Nature. Let us pray. Father, we have come to the preaching hour, and we are persuaded, O oh God, that you are Lord and you are God all by yourself, and we serve no other Lord, no other King, no other Master but you. But Father, while we acknowledge your sovereignty, 
and your divine rule over every one of our lives. The truth is, Father, we struggle sometimes even holding on to our faith. And so, Father, today through this worship experience, through this ministering of the word, speak to us now, Lord, through the preacher, that we may have some understanding of what the problem is, but that you are also the problem solver. And so, Father, we thank you for this time of worship, of preaching, of teaching, of learning, of growing in faith. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis, the second chapter, and the 15th through the 17th verses, we find these words recorded. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. From that account in Genesis, we see that God gave all of us free will and free choice. You and I have the conscious ability to make a decision regarding which way we want to go or what we would like to do. We have the capacity within ourselves to make a decision to go one way or another way. And that choice and that decision is unprovoked and is inherent to every single person. Nowhere in the text that I've just read does it say that we are incapable of making that choice. The only thing that we can latch on to is the fact that if and when we make a particular choice, whether to eat of the forbidden fruit or not, whatever we decide to do, there is a consequence that comes along with that decision. And the Bible is clear, you choose to eat of the forbidden fruit, the consequence is death. For God said in the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely, surely die. You don't, God did not mince his words. There is no ambiguity where that is concerned. In the day, Adam, that you eat of that fruit, you're free to eat anything else you want. But in the day that you choose to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in that day you shall surely die. Moving on to the third chapter of Genesis, the first through the seventh verses, and I indulge your listening and your hearing, it said, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may freely eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said. There is no ambiguity here. Eve knew the commandment from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will surely die. The serpent 
said to the woman, you surely will not die. Here we have the first contradiction to God. You will not surely die. But the text is clear. God says in the day that you eat of that fruit of that tree, you shall surely die. And so here comes a serpent, which is craftier than any beast of the field. You shall not surely die. Serpent then went on to say, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and gave it also to her husband with her and he ate complicity. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So what we have here is Satan challenging God's original mandate. Here is what happened. God gives us free will, free choice. Eat of any tree, of any fruit, anything in the garden. But do not eat this one or you will die. Satan then comes along and he takes your free will and mine. It's okay to choose the fruit you want because God knows you will not die. It is okay to do what God has said to not do because you will not die. It is easy to keep on sinning. It is easy to keep on disobeying. It is easy. Why? Because every time you disobey and every time you pick up the fruit, you did not die. So the question then becomes, was Satan right or was he wrong? The way that Satan takes your free will is not only by making you think he knows more than God, but simply by introducing doubt. All the devil has to do is to make you doubt who you are. All the devil has to do is to make you doubt your capacity. God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But Satan introduces doubt. You are worth nothing. God knows that you can't do this. Why would he, take, why would he bring you to this? Satan only has to introduce doubt. And he has taken your free will to choose to go to the right or to the left. Doubt. By introducing doubt, Satan has caused each and every one of us to question not only the true consequences of our choices, but to also question God's authority. Maybe God doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe God doesn't really have control over everything. Maybe God is not sovereign after all. Maybe God is trying to get something out of me, away from me, or keep something from me. Maybe God is trying to keep me from enjoying my life. Maybe God is not all that he seems to be. God made me the way I am. He should know that this is what I would want to do. Maybe God is not God after all. Maybe I am God. This is clearly seen as Satan's goal when he says, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So the point here is that from the beginning, Satan has a singular plan to use your free will and mine and our ability to choose against us. If he can interfere and intercept the point where you would make the right decision and force you to make another decision, then he wins. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. And if he can choose to make you go to the right, I know you're hearing what I'm saying, then he would have won. Satan wants your free will. He wants your free choice. And this is what sin really is. Sin is a declaration of independence from every limitation imposed on us by God. Let me say that one more time. Sin is a declaration of independence from every limitation imposed upon us by God. Do not eat of this fruit. I will do as I desire. That is sin. It is a way of thinking that says, I know how things look. I know what God says, but I want to find out for myself. I will not trust the word of the sovereign God because I know what I like. I know what I want. I know what's good for me. I know more and I know better than God. I want to do what I want to do because I want to be like God. This my brothers and my sisters, is sin at its core. Now, now, now let's look at the text in the context of sin. The Apostle Paul says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. Right away, Paul is setting it up for us that there is something that is in control of us that is causing us to do something against our own free will. Somehow, some way, something has hijacked your ability and my ability to choose to go to the right or to the left. Something is dreadfully wrong with us. Paul then goes on to say, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good, meaning I know right from wrong. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're hearing. But what I'm telling you is that there is a part of you and a part of me that has lost control. There is a part of you and a part of me that while I may consciously be aware that something is good for me, I still have in me something that wants to go against what I know to be true in order to do something that I know will destroy me. Why? We call it, and I call it, it's a, it's a, it's a way of sabotaging yourself. The very thing that is good for you, you refuse in lieu of the very thing that could kill you. Why are you making a choice every single day to go against your better senses, may I say, against your better nature in order to destroy your own selves? It is fatalistic. It is a disease that is so engulfed all of us 
that my brothers and my sisters, the scriptures are letting us know that we are powerless to get out of it. In all of us, we have the ability to choose right or wrong. In all of us, we have the ability to follow God's laws. In all of us, we have the ability to bring glory to God. In all of us, we have the ability to overcome our fears, our grief, our guilt, our anxieties, and our shame. But in all of us, we have a battle going on between our ability to make the right choices. We have a battle going on between two natures, and the stronger will win. The stronger will will win. Two natures at war. One of them is going to win. This brings us to the first nature. The first nature wants to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. The first nature has the capacity to reflect the best of what God has intended for all of us when God originally formed us and fashioned us in our mother's womb, or even when he made Adam from the dust of the earth. That first nature is something that wants to love God, to cherish God, to be a part of everything that is good in God. That part of us wants to love God. God made us in his very image and this first nature brings God tremendous glory. The first nature was supposed to be our default setting. It was supposed to be the part of us that would, without thinking, without even thinking about it, choose the right and reject the wrong. This was the first nature. And this first nature was corrupted by sin. Sin became the ultimate affront to God by contaminating and infecting God's good creation. Sin was so infectious and contagious that the Bible tells us that it causes all of creation, even the earth that we dwell on, to groan in agony, waiting for the consummation of all things. My brothers and my sisters, let me make it, bring it down to your street and make it perfectly clear. All of the things that we're seeing in nature, the wildfires, global warming, the hurricanes, anomalies, tidal waves, the things that we're seeing is the earth groaning, waiting for man to take his rightful place of dominion over all things, but we have given that power, given that free will over to the enemy of our souls and over to the devil. And the devil, we can keep saying, he made me do it. No, he has taken our free will choice. And the earth, which is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, is trying to communicate to man Return to God. The earth is telling us right now, in front of our very eyes, stop where you're going. Turn another direction. Repent, man. The earth is trying to get our attention. But we desire the very thing to do that destroys us. Sin is a disease, and all of us are infected. And because we're all infected, even when you want to do the right thing, you are dragged into the muck of disobedience and distress because your first nature has now fallen and is now in its worst state you could ever begin to believe. The first nature is now a fallen nature at best. This is what sin does to you and to me. It is so strong 
that it interferes with our ability to make the right choice. Sin steals our free will. We live in a culture where the concept of sin has become entangled in all kinds of legalistic arguments over right and wrong. When many of us think about sin, we, we think in terms of the violations of the Ten Commandments. Even then, we tend to think that murder and adultery are big sins, but lying and cursing and idolatry is not that big of a deal. We can marry as many times as we want, how many times. We, we make up all of these rules about what is appropriate in society, thinking that we know more than what God has established. But the truth is, my brothers and my sisters, and I am going to be as clear as I possibly can, God being my helper. Sin is sin. And no matter how small you think it is, or how large you think it is, it does not matter. Sin is and always will be sin. And as we have seen already biblically, sin means to miss the mark and the standard established by God. When understood this way, we can understand that all of us, myself included, are sinners. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, the third chapter and the 23rd verse, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, it didn't say some or most, it said all, which that includes you and that includes me. In light of this, it does no good to compare ourselves to other people. We cannot escape our failure to be righteous in our own strength. This is the true nature of sin and what it actually does to each and every one of us. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to understand in our focus test is simply this. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I'm telling you, my heart is heavy because I have a responsibility, a divine responsibility to not just preach messages that make you feel good, but to tell you the truth of what God says. And we need to preach more and to tell people more about sin. Why? Because our very lives depend on our ability to overcome sin. So preacher, what are we to do? You see, the first nature was corrupted by sin. The first nature has become Satan's playground. The first nature is now a slave to everything that's evil. And the first nature has become our weakness to our purpose in God. Tragically, sin in any amount, any amount will always distance us from God. I reminded of a, a glass of water. And if you take even one little drop of dye and put it in the water, no matter how much more water you pour in that glass, elements, trace elements of that dye will continue to remain in that glass. If you even have a drop of sin in you, no amount of Hail Marys, no amount of praying, no amount of going to the altar, no amount of oil is going to be able to rid you of the traces of sin. Such is the corruption of your nature. 
And God wants us to recognize our sin. He wants you to know that you have it, not to pretend as if you are so good just because you wear a fancy robe or you go to church on Sundays. God wants you to recognize your sin nature. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, the 59th chapter and the first through the second verses, Isaiah says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities, here it is, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. What am I saying? God can't hear you because of sin. Your prayers mean nothing because God is holy and nothing unholy can even make its way into God's throne room of grace. The John tells us if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So everyone, my brothers and sisters, is guilty of sin. Let us be crystal clear about that. Everyone is guilty of sin. Even those, you may not have committed murder, you may not have committed adultery, but you are guilty of lying. You are guilty of something. You have fallen short. I have fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. But, but God had a solution to the problem of our first nature. God has a solution to the problem of our first nature. And this is what we call the second nature. Oh, Spirit of the living God, the second nature. You see, the second nature comes because of Jesus. You see, he was the second Adam. And because he's the second Adam, he did for us what we could not do for ourselves when you and I get stuck falling in the same hole over and over and over again Jesus came and he threw himself into the hole and made it so that you and I would not fall in anymore Jesus came so that you and I could do what we really could not do hallelujah he did it for us our first nature spirit of the living God our first nature was corrupted by sin but Jesus purified it with his second nature our first nature may be Satan's playground but the second nature is our new playground the first nature is a slave to evil the second nature is a bond slave to the Lord Jesus Christ and the first nature has become a weakness to our purpose in God but the second nature is our fulfillment in the strength of God and brothers and sisters once you recognize that we are sinners we need only to repent and embrace Jesus and the second nature Jesus can rescue us because he died and he rose again on the third day in victory and he claimed victory over hell sin death and the grave anything that we have done anything that we are doing anything that we will be doing Jesus paid it all he is the second Adam he is the second nature 
That's who Jesus is. And that's what he has done. And if we understand our weakness, we need to consider coming under his atoning grace to find the peace that surpasses all, all, all understanding. So, so, Paul says, oh, Paul, thank you, Paul. Paul says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do. But I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good and true. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin, which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not want to do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. But because of Jesus, and I hope you hear this in your spirits, I am a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. And I can make the right choice because of my second nature. Even when I'm struggling, if I can't even make the right choice, I can choose Jesus. Even when I'm falling apart, I can choose Jesus. Even when I can't even see what tomorrow looks like, I can still choose Jesus. So, going back to the five-chapter book. <laughs> in chapter one, you walk down the street and you fall in a hole. But Jesus pulls you out. In chapter two, you walk down the same street and you pretend you don't see the hole and you fall in. But Jesus pulls you out. In chapter three, you walk down the street, you see the hole, you fall in, but you say, it's not my fault. Jesus still pulls you out. In chapter 4, you walk down the same street, you see the hole, you fall in, but you right now know that it's even your fault. Jesus pulls you out. But in chapter 5, because of Jesus, you can walk down not just a different street, but you can walk down any street and never have to worry about falling into any holes in your life. Because Jesus covers all holes. And he covers a multitude of sin. And he will cover yours if you choose him today. So my brothers and my sisters, if you've not heard anything I've said today, hear this to be true. You're living with sin. But you don't have to die with sin. Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow. This is the word of the Lord for you today. To not be trapped in the place where you believe that you have no choice 
I'm saying, commit in a humility your inability to choose the good for yourself. Because there is one good you can choose. And by choosing that one good, that one good can lead you to all of Christ's righteousness. And you never have to worry about whether or not you're good enough for God. Because the truth is, you never will be. But you're good enough for Jesus. And Jesus is good enough for God. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved. <laughs>